We do not diminish the glory of Christ's earthly ministry by saying that all he did, he did under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. It was after the Holy Spirit descended on him at his baptism that he began his public teaching and miracle working ministry. Hello folks, I'm Joel Van Hoogen and this is The Bread of Life, a radio ministry of the International Mission Church Partnership Evangelism and its associate fellowship, The Bread of Life in Boise, Idaho. Our ministry is going forward every day in countries around the world. To learn more, go to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. The Holy Spirit was poured on Jesus as anointing power so that he may perfectly fulfill the offices of prophet, priest, and king. And now Jesus, the anointed one, the Messiah, wants to pour out that spirit of power on us so that we, as his body, may carry forward with power his life to a world in need of him. Jesus carried out his ministry on earth through the poured out anointing of the Spirit upon him, bringing to him God's power. Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. So it's a long ways to make just one point, but it's simply this, but you can't deny it. The Holy Spirit is anointing oil. He gives us the experience of power, just like he gives the experience of presence. He gave that power to the Lord Jesus himself. Here's the next thing I want you to consider just briefly. I want you to consider the commission that Christ gave to his disciples. I want you to keep in mind that after Christ rose from the dead and before he ascended, he gave to his disciples a mission to go into all the earth and proclaim the gospel and to give witness of their experience of Christ Jesus and to teach them of all that Christ had commanded them. And this is still the duty of we Christians today. And what we should see is in a sense what the Lord Jesus was handing off to them and what he's handed off to us are these same roles that he has perfectly fulfilled as Messiah. He's saying, in a sense, we have a prophetic role in the world in which we live. We're to be the ones who are foretelling the truths of God, and we're to be living out God's truth and God's will and God's way before men, and we're to be proclaiming it as well in the message of the gospel. Repent and believe in Jesus Christ. And and we are ones who are to live as intercessors on our earth. We are to carry out a priestly ministry in which we intercede for men, and, and we represent them before God, and we, in our communion with Jesus Christ, represent God before them. And we also have been called to be ambassadors, given a kingly authority to represent the reign and rule of our king upon the earth as we submit to his will and his way in our lives. And we declare the coming king. Peter, again, recognized this role that we play in, in 1 Peter chapter 2.9. Peter says of ourselves, of the believers, that we are a royal priesthood. We have this kingly role, we have this priestly role, we have this prophetic role. He says, we are a royal priesthood in order that we may proclaim the praises of him who's called us out of darkness and brought us into his marvelous light. All of these are roles that God has given to us, and may I just say, none of these roles can we fulfill. None of them. Without the anointing. Without the anointing. We need it. We desperately need it. Those first disciples were not going to be able to carry the work of the Messiah giving witness of his prophetic and priestly and kingly fulfillment for the world as the Messiah, as the anointed one, as the Christ, but through the Holy Spirit. So having given them the assignment to make disciples and to go into all the world to proclaim the gospel, the Lord Jesus then told them to wait until they were anointed with power from the Holy Spirit. Let's read a couple passages. These are the passages that we probably should have had as our lead passages, but I want to save them till now, until we, in a sense, understood them within their context. So Luke 24, 46 through 49. Let's read that together, 
and then we'll go over to Acts chapter one. Luke 24, verses 46 through 49. Then he said, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day. This is what the Lord Jesus was teaching them. All these things were necessary. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you're witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued, or there's an outpouring of power from on high. Power from on high. Now go to Acts chapter 1. And let's look at verses 4 through 8. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. And being assembled together with them, Jesus, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but... You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You remember in 1 Samuel when we read about David and his anointing, we read that from that time forward, David went forth in the power and the spirit of the Lord. And these disciples needed that same spirit upon them. They needed that same anointing if they were to carry out that work. Individuals who want to go into ministry nowadays, oftentimes, well, I guess you can, I actually saw the other day that you can just go online and you can get an ordination paper online. You can become ordained online. But the traditional route was that you, after college, you went off to seminary and worked on a three-year degree at least. That's what I did. During that time, you, you took Hebrew and you took Greek and you studied all the different theological positions and you walked your way through all the phylum of different theological thought. You studied angiology and anthropology and uh, pneumatology and ecclesiology, all the ologies of our proper theology, working your way through the Bible. And you had debates and discussions with the other students and you interacted with the professors and they gave you a copious amount of reading that would just literally, you would choke on every single night as you were reading through all that material. And after three years, they gave you a diploma and you were off sending out your resume and you found a church to pastor in. And it was a decent education, but it was poor in comparison to the education that those first disciples got. Those first disciples spent three or four years walking with the Lord Jesus, learning from the master, hearing his instruction, receiving his take and his understanding and direction on exactly what the Bible was teaching and the scriptures were teaching, opening up their minds. We're told that after he rose again, he opened their minds as well. There was an intensive that took place after he rose again in which he opened up their minds to understand the scriptures and there he showed them that he was the fulfillment of everything that was proclaimed in the scriptures. But not only did they have this tremendous kind of teaching that was filling their minds with wonderful information but they were also able to see and learn of Jesus by watching him and studying him and seeing how his character interacted with other men. They saw the pastoral ministry in action because they watched him as he came near to people and how he engaged people and he spoke to people and how he questioned people and how he found a way to speak to them immediately to the very deep needs of their life. They watched, what an education, what an education. Nobody, in a sense, 
was better educated and better prepared to carry on the ministry of bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth than those 12 apostles or those original apostles. And yet, it wasn't enough. Jesus told them it would not satisfy for the work that he gave them to do. They would have to wait until they were anointed with power from the Holy Spirit to carry out their work. If it's true for them, how can we accomplish the great things God calls us to do without having that anointing ourselves and God moving upon us in the same way? Here's kind of where we are at in our season and our time. Education kind of went like this. Most of you were educated around the same time that I was educated. We grew up kind of at the end of the ripening of the modern era. We grew up when we were moving into success. The world wars were behind us. Actually, the excursions in Korea and Vietnam were behind us as well. There were flare-ups around the world periodically, but that was from less progressed countries than ourselves. We were past the civil rights movement. We had moved forward. We heard of the terrible things in our history, but we also learned that we had learned and risen past those things, and we had discovered the way to go forward and move forward, and so there was in our minds, and this was inculcated us in our schools even, this expectation that we were the generation of the enlightenment of what had taken place through the years and of the modern era, and we had before us nothing but conquest. It was morning in America, and we were to move forward with all that we had learned and all that we had discovered, and this same conviction came upon us in ministry as well. We thought that we had discovered the tools and we begun to understand the social structures and the ways in which people operate and we had figured out the mechanisms you might say and the strategies to fulfill the role in the church of doing the best at communicating gospel truths. The emphasis when I was in ministry was in being a good communicator and learning the rules of proper communication. And we'd figured them out. And we'd also figured out how it was that we could help the church grow and expand in its social impact. And we began to implement all of those rules and all those tools. And quite effectively, I might add, it was only a decade ago, you know, that the evangelical church had felt as though they had hit the zenith. And we were the difference makers in the nation. In fact, it was just less than 10 years ago that They took a poll and the vast majority, the great majority of people in America said that they were evangelical Christians. We triumphed through all these processes and all these. We would go to seminars and we'd learn church growth models and we'd learn all the strategies and how to grow and how to develop and how to make polished and good disciples and raise up Christians and get our message out there more effectively. And we followed all those things. Now listen, when we would go to the seminars, there was always a little bit of an apology at the very beginning of it and at the end of it. You know, We can't do any of this without the work of the Holy Spirit upon our lives. We are completely dependent upon the Holy Spirit to produce anything lasting, and we all said, amen. And then they began to lay down all the different strategies that we could follow to be effective, and we started taking our notes and following our notes and doing all those things. And there was even a little bit of a story we told against ourselves. We knew that we had developed all of these structures and these programs, and that to some extent we knew that there was an Achilles heel in it, there was going to be a failure in it, and there was a common anecdotal story that was told regularly when I was going in the ministry. It was the story of a Chinese Christian who had come to North America to go and view the church in North America and see all that they had done. He was taken to all the churches with our bowling alleys and our great big fellowship halls and all of our ministries extended out from them. And 
He went all over America and when it was done he was asked what was his most significant impression from all that he had seen. And we told this story on ourselves because his answer was, I'm amazed at how much the church in North America can do without the Holy Spirit. We say, see, we've got to be careful about these things. But then we went on chasing our structures because we knew so much and we had learned so much. And now we've come to the end of the modern age and we flipped over into postmodernity. And now order and structure and logic and reason and program and, and all those things are being put aside for insanity. No logic whatsoever. In fact, today, this morning, I heard some advertisement which said, we are against logic, we are against reason. It was an advertisement for something someone was selling, but someone's figured out that's the new pitch. No logic, no reason, just whatever you feel, whatever you desire, and all those structures are being pulled down and we're seeing it around us. And It's like being in a whirlpool of just despair. It's hard to figure out. It's just washing away and it's sweeping through the church as well. And all those systems and all those strategies, which we're still trying to apply, are having less and less impact on where our world is going. What is God doing in all these things? What is God doing? God is coming alongside and saying, see, I told you. The anecdote was true. You can do nothing except the anointing of my Holy Spirit. All those facades you built up, all those structures, all those things that you raised up, wherever you raise it up in your own ingenuity, in your own programs, in your own planning, it's just being swept away. It's just being swept away. This has been the Bread of Life, a ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bread of Life Church in Boise, Idaho. To learn more, go to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may God bless you 